All right, we're going to continue our lesson called Don't Give Up. And last week when we left off, we left off with 1 Timothy chapter 4, but we were talking about what is faith. So we're still discussing the topic of what is faith. More specifically, what does it mean to be an unbeliever? So tonight we're going to start with 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 21, but we're going to read verses 20 through 21 to give us a context of the of verse what verse 21 is talking about because it starts in the middle of a sentence. You can't start in the middle of a sentence. You've got to start where the sentence begins. Verse 20 says, O Timothy, guard what, had, what was committed to your trust. What was committed to his trust? The preaching of the gospel. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, that false knowledge, some have strayed concerning the faith. So when we look at those that have strayed concerning the faith, what caused them to stray concerning the faith? False teachers. It was that false doctrine that what, what Paul referred to as what is falsely known as knowledge. So if you look back to verse 20, actually in verse 21, the word faith is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. But look back to verse 20. The word profane. Paul told Timothy to avoid profane and idle babblings. The word profane is Greek word 942, and it's the Greek word babelos, B-E-B-E-L-O-S, babelos. But I don't want to look at that word. I want to look at its Hebrew equivalent. The Hebrew equivalent is the Hebrew word chol, C-H-O-L. And that is Hebrew word 2455. So chol, C-H-O-L. That word chol means unholy. Unholy. So profane means unholy. I want to look at where that word unholy is used that really just packs a punch to give us an understanding of what Paul wanted Timothy to avoid. Go to Ezekiel 44. Ezekiel 44. So keep a finger in 1 Timothy. I, if I didn't tell you to do that, sorry. So keep a finger in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and go back to Ezekiel 44. Looking at how is that word whole, C-H-O-L, used in the scripture. So... We looked at it in 1 Timothy 6 as profane. But in Ezekiel 44, verses 23 to 24, this is, in, this is in the future. This is in the Messianic kingdom. It says, And they shall teach my people the difference between the what? The holy and the unholy. That word unholy is chol, C-H-O-L. And cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge it according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. So in the kingdom, what is, what is one of the job of the priests? To teach people the difference between holy and unholy. So that means if there's a distinction in the kingdom between what is holy and what is unholy, does that mean there's still a distinction now? Yes. So if this is yet future... There is a distinction between that now, between what is holy and what is unholy. And we looked last week at where specifically God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Where does he mention that? That's in Leviticus 11 where it tells us what's okay to eat and what's not okay to eat. So if we go back to 1 Timothy 6, when 
Paul tells Timothy, avoid profane and idle babblings. He's telling, them, he's telling Timothy, stay away from unholy gossip. Stay away from things that will drive you away from God. And he says also, and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. That word contradictions in Greek is antithesis. Spell it antithesis. A-N-T-I-T-H-E-S-I-S. Antithesis. And what is, when we talk about something, and that's Greek word uh, 477. When we talk about something being the antithesis of something, what does that mean? Is it kind of different? Or is it the complete opposite? He's saying... Stay away from what these false teachers are calling knowledge. Because if he's saying it's the antithesis of knowledge, then what is it? He's saying it's the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite. Stay away from it. He said by it, this false knowledge, this knowledge that is the complete opposite of what is known as knowledge, some have strayed concerning the faith. So can false teaching and false doctrine lead people away from the faith? Absolutely. And that's, and that's how he ended his letter to Timothy. Stay away from false teaching, teaching and lead people in the correct way. Lead people in the, the path that will lead them to God. Let's go to Revelation 21. Still looking at what it means to be an unbeliever. So even though we did not see the word unbeliever in 1 Timothy 6... If somebody leads you away from the faith, what have they made you? They've made you an unbeliever. Let's go to Revelation 21.8. So in Revelation 21.8, it gives us a list of people or types of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 8 says, but the cowardly, and then what's the next word? Unbelieving. Unbelieving. Those who do not have faith. It's the word apostos. A-P-I-S-T-O-S. Apostos. And as we discussed last week, pistos is faithful. Apostos, the A, the prefix A, makes the word mean the complete opposite. So apostos means the complete opposite of having faith. So those who have no faith, those who are unbelieving, without faith, Will they hear the words, enter into my rest, good and faithful servant? No. They will not. Because if you keep reading, it says, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So all of these categories of people, cowardly, those without faith, abominable. And, you know, it's, it's funny that it's all... All of those are included together because if you're cowardly, if you're abominable, if you're a murderer, what do you lack? You lack faith. You lack faith in God's word. So it's interesting that all of these are separate, but it's kind of like, well, what does it look like to be an unbeliever? Well, cowardly, abominable, murderer, sexually immoral, sorcerer, idolater, all liars. All of those things are characterized people with no faith. All right, so we looked at, in great detail, what is faith. So we looked at how faith is trusting in God's Word, how our works, how our faith is proven by our works. We looked at how faith allows you to finish the race. We looked at how faith upholds the law. We looked at what does it mean 
to be an unbeliever or one without faith. Now we're going to look at what does it mean to believe. So we're going to look at what it means to believe. So what you're going to notice is it's going to sound just like a continuation of the topic of faith. Because it is. It's just a continuation of the topic of faith. But what I want you to see is when you see the word believe and you see the word faith, you need to see how closely related those two phrases are or those two words are. Because if you believe, you have faith. If you have faith, you believe. Well, I just spoiled the surprise. But we got to look at the scriptures that prove that what I'm saying you know, has some bearing. So the short answer... Do, if you believe, do you have faith? The short answer is yes. But let's look at the let's look at the scriptures that support that. So we're going to look at what does it mean to believe. So we're going to look at the basics of what it means to believe. So here's the, just a basic overview of what it means to believe. Let's go to Genesis fifteen six. Some of you are probably already turning there. Genesis 15, 6. So if you're taking notes, this is just kind of a subtopic under the, the topic, what does it mean to believe? So the first subtopic would be the basics of what it means to believe. Genesis 15, 6. So we have Abraham, who was known as Abram, Avram, um, at that point. This is before God changes his name. God told him, he said, you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And what did Abraham say? He said, okay, God, I believe you. And verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So he, talking about Abraham, believed in the Lord. That word believed is the Hebrew word ha'amim. H-E apostrophe E-M-I-N. It's the Hebrew word he'amin. He'amin is a he-fill form of the Hebrew word aman. A-M-A-N, which is um, Hebrew word um, 539. And what he'amin or aman, where we get the word amen, means it means to stand firm, to trust, to be certain, or to believe in. In other words, it means to put all your faith in that particular thing. So when it says that, God, that Abraham believed in the Lord, does that mean he had a casual belief like, oh, I believe there's a God? Or did he, was it more of a, Lord, you said this, I'm not going to waver from it because you said it, I believe it, it's sealed in stone. Okay, did the promise to Abraham happen in a year? Did it happen in two years? Nope. Ten years? Nope. Fifteen years? Nope. Twenty years? Nope. It took how many years? Twenty-five years. Okay? And the, at the time that Abraham was given the promise, he was 75 years old. Okay? So put yourself in his shoes. You're 75 years old. You're, you're without child. You kind of look at the hands on the clock and you're thinking, I don't have a whole lot of time. You know? So along the way... What did Sarah tell Abraham? Essentially, we have to help God. We have to help God. Because God is taking too long with his promise. And then here comes Ishmael. Did that change the promises of God? 
were the promises of God void at that point? Because we read last week in 1 Timothy, even if we're faithless, God is still what? Faithful. He's still faithful to His promises. He told Abraham, I'm going to do this. Abraham did his thing. Did it work? No. But God still carried through His promise. And so that's what it means to believe. Does it mean we don't screw up? Because did Abraham screw up? Absolutely he did. But did he still believe in God's promises? Absolutely. Because God knew it. Because if you read later on in Genesis 22, what did God say? Let's look at Genesis 22. The promise was given... It says he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. In Genesis 22, verse 12, verse 12, And he, the Lord, said, Do not lay your hand on the lad and do not do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So this is the point where God said, Now I know your faith is real. Did, did God doubt that Abraham's faith was real? He didn't doubt that his faith was real. But who was the, when God spoke this to Abraham, why did Abraham need to hear it? What did it do to his faith? It just built and strengthened his faith. So that is what it means to believe, to stand firm, to trust, to be certain, to believe that it's going to happen even if it does not happen right when you think it needs to happen. Because if you think about what in the end times, what characterizes something in the end times? Peter talks about it in 2 Peter. So let's, let's flip over there real quick. What characterizes the last days? People do what? 2 Peter 3. Starting at verse 3, it says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So what characterizes the, the last days? People saying, Well, we've heard this our whole lives. When's it going to happen? Are those people that are full of faith anticipating the coming of the Lord? Or are those what we call scoffers? But what does Peter go on to say? He says, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Is there a period right there? Nope. No. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to what? Repentance. Repentance. Why does it seem as if God is just letting this thing drag out a lot longer than it should? So that all people could be what? Saved. But how does verse 10 begin? But. The day of the Lord will come. So there will come a time when God says, here comes the wrath. But those who are believing are anticipating His coming. Those who have the faith of Abraham. Alright, let's go to Romans chapter 4. Before I just keep belaboring the point. <laughs> Romans 4, 5. Looking at what are the basics of what it means to believe. Romans 4, 5. Verse 5 says, But to him who does not work, 
but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, we looked last week at, in Romans how Romans and James seem to contradict, but at the same time when he's talking about you're justified by your faith and not by the works of the law, what does he mean now in verse 5 when it says, but to him who does not work, one who tries to earn their salvation through the works of the law? Is that one with faith or with no faith? That's one with no faith. But to him who does not work but believes. That word believes is the Greek word pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Do you notice how it's related to the word pistis? Because they're all related terms. And that's Greek word 4100 in the Strong's Concordance. So essentially what Paul is saying, if you believe... Your faith is counted as righteousness, just like Abraham. So, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies, that means declares righteous, the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So if we have the faith that Abraham had, if, if we believe in the promises of God, it says that our faith is counted as righteousness, just like Abraham. All right, let's go to Acts 11. Acts 11. Still looking at the basics of what it means to believe. Acts 11, 21. Acts 11, 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, talking about um, those who were preaching the gospel, and a great number believed and then did what? Turned to the Lord. So, so repented. So those who believe will what? Repent. Will turn to the Lord. So <clears throat> those, who, those who believe, those who have faith, will turn to God, will repent. Let, um, let's tie this to Acts 26.20. Because we also see that same phrase, turn to God, those who turn to the Lord in Acts 26.20. Acts 26.20. Acts 26.20. We'll start in verse 19 because verse 20 starts in the middle of a sentence. It says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, number one, that they should what? Repent. Repent. Number two, that they should what? Turn to God. Number three, do what? Do works befitting repentance. That means the works or the fruit that they bear should show that they have what? Repented. Repented. So you're telling me Paul did not tell them, you're saved, now go keep sinning. He did not. He said that they should repent. What does it mean to repent? Turn from your sin. So if you're turning from your sin, who are you turning to? to God. You're turning to God. And that's why in number two it says right here, turn to God. Well, it's number two in my Bible because I have a little number two there. And then number three, do works befitting repentance. 
And that goes right along with what James was saying. If you don't have works befitting repentance, how real is your faith? It's not. It's not. All right, so in Acts 11.21, the word believed, where it says they believed and turned to the Lord, is the word pistuo that we just saw in Romans 4.5. John 20, 29. Still looking at the basics of what it means to believe. Are you noticing any disconnect between believing and having faith? You shouldn't because it's the same. They're connected. So last week we looked at this particular portion of scriptures where the Lord told Thomas in verse 27, He said, Do not be unbelieving, but believing. In other words, He told him, Don't be one without faith, have faith. Verse 28 says, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Yeshua said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, what kind of faith is God looking for? What is, what is the Lord looking for? That we have to see all these great works, all these great miracles, or taking the, word, the Lord at His word. What did, what did the Lord tell the disciples? He told them that He was going to die. He told them that He was going to be resurrected. He told them all of these different things. And how many of them said, oh, we believe it all? He had to appear to them and show them. So when did Thomas believe? Thomas even said, I won't believe it until I can stick my finger in his side. So what did Thomas have to do? Stick the finger in the side. And that's when he believed. And the Lord rebuked him and said, Thomas, you believe because you see me. Blessed are those who don't see and believe. And that's the very definition of faith. That is the very definition of faith. And that ties us right back to Hebrews 11.1. 1. The word believed here is the word pistuo. So you see here directly how belief ties to faith. 1 John 4. 1 John 4. So if faith and belief and believing means we take things that we hear from the Word of God and believe everything that's said, does that mean that we take everything that we hear no. and believe it? No. The, the, uh, the Scripture is very careful to warn us about that in 1 John 4. 1 John 4 one says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua Messiah has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Yeshua the Messiah has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So back in verse 1, that word believe is Pistuo. It's pistuo. Now, in verse 1, it says, test the spirits. That word test. All right, you know, as a teacher, when I think of a test, I think of, you know, an exam. 
But this says to test the spirits. Does this mean that we give the spirits an exam to see whether they pass or fail? No, that's not what it's talking about. The word test in Greek is the word dokamazo, D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O, dokamazo. And that's Greek word 1381, but I don't really care about the Greek. I want to look at the Hebrew. I mean, I do care about the Greek, but I really want to focus in on how it ties to the Hebrew. The Hebrew equivalent of dokimatso is the Hebrew word bachan, B-A-C-H-A-N, bachan. And that's Hebrew word 974. Let's turn to Zechariah 13.9 and we'll see how that word bachan is used. Zechariah 13.9. Zechariah 13.9 is talking about the tribulation period and how two-thirds of the Jewish people will die, and that's from the end of verse 8. But I want to look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, I will bring one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. That word test is bachan. So the type of test that's used back in 1 John 4 is talking about testing metals. So... That word, dakimatso or bachan, means to try metals to test their genuineness, to see if they're real or not. So if we test the spirits like gold is tested, why is gold tested? To see if it's really gold or if it's not. So why do we test the spirits? Well, in the same way, we do that to test, their genu- to test the, the, the genuineness of the spirit. What's the easiest way to test the spirits? Do what the Bereans did. If it doesn't line up with the words of God, then what could we say about that particular spirit? (laughs) It's a lying spirit. It's a false spirit. It's a lying spirit. If, If we have a teacher who comes and says, do X, Y, Z, and X, Y, Z is not in the scripture, well, what can we conclude about that? particular teacher. They're they're a false teacher. So that's why it's so important and that's why John is given that warning. He says do not believe every spirit and then he goes on to warn about the spirit of Antichrist or the spirit of the false Messiah. And what is the spirit of the Antichrist? Break break commandments. Lawlessness. But you know you can look at verse 2 and verse 3 in 1 John 4 and say well you know, I believe in, I, I confess Yeshua the Messiah. I believe that he's come in the flesh. So that means, you know, I'm not a false teacher. But what if you say that our Messiah was a lawbreaker? He came to do away with God's commandments. He came to abolish and break every commandment that God ever gave. You're saying he's not the Messiah. You're saying he's not the Messiah. How do we know that? What did he say in Matthew 5? He said, not one jot or one tittle will by no means be bro- will change or be broken from the Torah till all has been fulfilled. So what does he go on to say? Let's just look at it. Instead of me trying to quote it poorly, let's look at it. Matthew 5. This is how you test the spirits. 
Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Fulfill, plurao, that means to fully preach. Not to abolish, but to fully preach, to teach it right. Verse 18, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law, pass from the Torah till all is fulfilled. You understand, a jot is the smallest Hebrew letter, and a tittle is the smallest piece of a letter. So what is he saying that the smallest letter or piece of a letter, not even the smallest little bit of a letter, will be done away with from the Torah till all has been fulfilled? So how do we take what the Lord said and say, oh, but all of it's done away with, all of it's been abolished? We're you'd have to call him a liar. So if you look back at what 1 John says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test their genuineness. The same way that gold would be tested. Test the spirits to see if they are of God or not. And in Matthew, the Lord himself gives the warning, if you teach people, if you break the commandments and teach people to break the commandments, Will you be called great or least in the kingdom of God? Least. You will be called least in the kingdom of God. And how many of you sitting in this room want to be called least in the kingdom of heaven? I don't think that's a position that any of us are just dying to, to get. All right, let's go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. This is a really cool, really cool little nugget I found in Psalm 19. Psalm 19.7. Hey, we were just talking about the commandments, weren't we? Do you know David wrote psalms about the commandments? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Did he say, just hold on, they'll be abolished when Messiah comes. Just, just, keep, just keep bearing with it. No, he didn't. Look at verse 7. Not Psalm 19.7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Tamim, complete converting or restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That word sure at the end of verse 7 is the word ne'aman, N-E apostrophe E-M-A-N. Ne'aman. And that's from the word aman, where we get Amen. But what's interesting about that word sure, ne'aman, is the participle form of ne'aman. Participle means continuing action. So what we can look at that and say, the testimony of the Lord is sure and continues to be sure. It continues to be unchanging. It will never change. So does it sound like if, if David is writing saying, that the testimony of the Lord is always going to be sure, always going to be faithful, never changing, is it at some point going to say, oh, it's going to change? No. It won't. So the law of the Lord is perfect. It's complete. It's all we need. That sounds just like what Paul told Timothy. He said the gospel, the scripture, makes a man of God thoroughly complete. In other words, that's all you need. That's all you need. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, unchanging, never going to change. Making wise the simple. Doesn't that remind you of the disciples? Were they college-educated men from the best universities, from the best schools of the, of the rabbi? No. What did the people say when they started speaking in other languages on the day of Pentecost? They're drunk. They're, drunk. They're Galileans. They're just rednecks, right? That's what basically what he was saying. They're just rednecks. Can you read on two more verses? Absolutely. Verse 8, it says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. For how long? For a little while. Forever. 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 Doesn't that tie right to what we just read back in verse 7 that says the testimonies of the Lord are sure. Always going to be sure. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. What's altogether mean? That means... Complete, and that ties right back to what verse 7 says. Leaving nothing out. Leaving nothing out. And that, that ex so, in other words, verses 7, 8, and 9 are different ways of saying the exact same thing. Yep. So what can you conclude from verses 7, 8, and 9? God's commandments do not change. And they're always going to be sure. They're always going to be reliable. You can put your faith in them that they're not going to change. How many of you want to serve a wishy-washy God? Because if, let's just say if, if there was a plan B, which I've heard, which I've heard people say. You know, the, the law came, it didn't work, it couldn't save anybody, so God had to make a plan B, here comes Jesus. I mean, how logical does that sound? Because wasn't Yeshua the lamb slain from the foundation of the world so this was always part of God's plan this was always part of God's plan but what if God changed then we can look at this psalm right here where it says the testimony of the Lord is sure and we say no because God changes but all throughout the scripture what do we read about God God never changes if God never changes then that means we can put our full faith our full trust in Him because He won't change. And Psalm 119, verse 89 reinforces that too. Psalm 119, uh, verse 89. Psalm 119, 89. Yep. We'll have to read another verse since we're here. You, twist, you twisted my arm. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, not for a little while, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Does that mean that it's going to change? Ooh, no, no. no, it's settled. It's done. Flip the page to verse 126. Psalm 119, verse 126. So what if we have people, what if we have teachers, what if we have those that say, yeah, God said forever, but really they're done away with. They're abolished. They're, they're no more abrogate it, whatever words you want, whatever fancy theological words you want to use. When at that time comes, what does verse 126 say? It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. 
Does that sound like that, that David is asking the Lord to act on behalf of them with loving kindness, or does it sound like full unbridled wrath? Sounds like wrath. So those are the basics of what it means to believe. So you see how when you have belief in God, you can put your full faith in God because God will not change. If God changes, then we have no basis for our faith because He might fulfill this promise, He might not. But what will God always do? He will always be true to His Word. He will never change. Therefore, we can put our full faith in Him. That's how faith and belief are tied together. We can put our faith in Him and believe in His words because He does not change. You want to add in verse 136? Of course. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. Doesn't that sound like today? You try to tell people about the goodness of God. Like, look at this, look at these wonderful words that God has given us, all these wonderful promises, and what do people say? It's not how I've always done it. It's not how I've always done it. I don't, I don't see it that way. But it doesn't matter how you see it, it's what the word says. It's what the word says. So we've looked at the basics of what it means to believe. Now we're gonna spend some time. And we're going to look at the children of Israel because if we think about what Romans 15.4, let's look at it. Romans 15.4 tells us everything that was written before was written for, for a nice story, right? For a nice, just a nice anecdote to, um, to get us by and then just go on with our day. What does Romans 15.4 say? It says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Because whatever happened before, God intended us to learn from it or forget it. Learn from to learn from it. That's why we have all these accounts of faithlessness not shown in a good light written to us so we would understand what it means to have faith and what it does not mean. Um, okay. All right. So let's look at Hebrews 3. So this is a section that I labeled in my notes, the Hebrews 3 connection. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 16, verses 16 through Hebrews 4, 3. Because this epitomizes what it means to have unbelief, to not believe. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 16. Hebrews 3, 16 says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Was it every single person? Every single person. No, there were two. Joshua and Caleb. Verse 17 says, Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, 
but, the, but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. That word unbelief is apistia. Apistia. A-P-I-S-T-I-A. Apistia. Unbelief. Lack of faith. Back in verse 18, do you see the phrase where it says, those who did not obey? That phrase, did not obey, is Greek word apatheo. Apatheo, A-P-E-I-T-H-E-O, apatheo. And that's Greek word 544, and it literally means did not believe. Now, it says those who did not obey, why did they not obey? Because they did not believe. They did not believe that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. God told them, go in, take the land, it's yours. No, we got to send in spies first. Okay, send in spies. They spied out the land. How many came back with a good report? Two. All of them? All 12? Two. And when they said, let's go, let's take the land, we got this. What were the people saying? Stone them. Stone them. We're going to look at all that in just a little bit. But, but to those who did not obey, those who did not believe, so they could not enter in because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, those in the wilderness. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with what? Faith, faith in those who heard it. That word faith is pistis. For we who have heard do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. So God said, or God was telling them they did not enter in because they did not take the words that they heard and mix it with what? They did not mix it with faith. So they heard the words, but what kept them from believing the words? They thought God would change. They thought God was not going to go through on his promises. Oh, they're, they're grasshoppers. We're grasshoppers in their sight. But what I want to do is I want to trace down. See, we're just given the abridged version here. I want to trace down how it started with the children of Israel and what got them to this point. And what you're going to see, it looks kind of like this. Faith, no faith. Faith, no faith. Faith, no faith. It's kind of an ebb and flow. But ultimately, which way did it go? So let's go to Exodus 4.1. Exodus 4.1. Exodus 3 is where the Lord tells Moses, I will be whom I will be. Boy, did he show that to the children of Israel in the wilderness. Because did he, did he just go scorched earth on the whole congregation? No. Did he, did he pour out his wrath upon Joshua and Caleb? 
Absolutely not. He blessed them for their obedience. But let's look at Exodus 4.1. We're going to read verses 1, 5, 8, and 9. So we're going to track, just trace down all of the stuff that we read, down, read back in Hebrews 3. Exodus 4.1 says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me nor listen to my voice. Suppose that they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So Moses is starting with the excuses. What if, what if, what if, what if? Okay? And then that's when the Lord tells him to throw down his rod and it becomes a snake. And then he tells him to pick it back up. Let's just, let's just read on. Verse 2 says, So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So that's a, that was a sign that Moses was to perform in the presence of the children of Israel. Just to show that, he, hey, look at that cool trick. He turned a rod into a snake. What was the purpose? God said that they may believe that the Lord God has appeared to you. That's the purpose. That word believe in verse 1 and in verse 5 is from the, the word aman, A-M-A-N where we get the word Amen. So then he says another then he um, does another test where he sticks his hand into um, puts his hand into his bosom and he pulls it out and it's leprous, then he puts it back and um, it's good as gold. Verse eight says Then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. So notice the word believe. That word aman keeps coming over and over and over. So what is this for the people? This is a faith-building test. This is a test to build their faith. Verse 9, And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land, the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So, all of this is a test to build the faith of the people. Did it work? Let's go down to verse 31. Verse 31 says, So the people believed. So Moses performed all of the signs in the presence of the children of Israel. Verse 31 says, So the people believed. And that word believed is from the word aman. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So when I gave you that example a moment ago where I said they're ebbing and flowing, this is where we would call it an ebb. So they're, they're believing. They believed the signs. But think about this. When you're in harsh servitude, you know, that's when people usually... Um, find their faith, isn't it? What is was that um, saying? There are no atheists in foxholes? So, they're in harsh servitude. They're, they're, they're willing to accept the words. Alright, let's go to Exodus 14. Exodus 14. 
So when we fast forward, the children of Israel have already come out. The ten plagues have happened. So here they are in the wilderness. Exodus 14.31. All right. This is the end of chapter 14 where the Lord troubled the chariots. And that's such a, um, that's a humorous word. They troubled. The wheels fell off of the chariot. That's more than just troubled. You can't drive a wheelless chariot, can you? So at that point, what should the, what should the Egyptians have done? I think repent might have been the most wise thing to do. But no, they, they ran and fled back and the waters were covered on them. So if we start back at verse 30, it says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. It actually says in that day, but that's for a different time. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Take your pencil and and add a word. All right, the word believed in verse 31 is aman, but it actually says in the Hebrew, it says the people believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So when all of those things happened, what did that do for the faith of the people? Raised it up high. They had that faith that we were talking about. So it says, after all of that happened, they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. They believed the words that came out of Moses' mouth. Because who was Moses speaking on behalf of? He was speaking on behalf of the Lord. So they believed in the Lord. All right, let's go to Exodus 19.9. So here we are. We're, we're ebbing. They've had a little bit of a flow because they went out into the wilderness and said, we're thirsty. You brought us out here to die. All right, so Exodus 19. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. So the Lord is about to enter into covenant with the people. Verse 9 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you how long? Forever. Forever. It actually says believe in you forever. So the Lord spoke to the people so that the people would believe in Moses' words how long? Forever. And I have written down in my notes Psalm 119 verse 89 where it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So when God spoke to the people, He spoke with the purpose that the words He spoke to Moses and the words that Moses relayed to the people would be believed for how long? Forever. Forever. Not for a little while, but forever. So He said, I'm speaking to you that the people may believe in you forever. Because did the Lord know there might come a day when people say, oh, that law of Moses, that's old. That's done away with. That doesn't count anymore. That's the purpose of it. All right, let's go to Numbers 14. Numbers 14.
Numbers 14.11. So the people were told, go take the land. And what did they say? No. No. We're scared. We're scared. Numbers 14.11. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? The word believe is the word aman. So in other words, when, how long will these people not have faith in me? God told them to go take the land. What did they say? God, you're a liar. You're not going to, yeah, you split the sea. Yeah, you drowned Pharaoh's army. Yeah, 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 you did all of that, but you're not going to do this. And God told Moses, how long will these people reject me? That word reject in verse 11 caught my eye. It's the Hebrew word na'atz, N-A-apostrophe-A-T-Z, na'atz. And it's Hebrew word 5006. And na'atz doesn't just mean to reject. When you hear the word reject, what does that mean? It just kind of carries a soft, like, eh, okay. The word means to abhor or to blaspheme. So he's saying... The Lord is saying, how long will these people abhor me? How long will they blaspheme me? And what causes them to abhor him or to not believe in him? If you read the next question of the Lord, it tells you what. Because they lack faith. He says, and how long will they not believe me? So where does blasphemy, which is total rejection of God, where does that stem from? A lack of faith, a lack of belief. So when God is saying, they reject me, how long will they reject me? He's saying, how long will they abhor me? How long will they blaspheme me? So that word reject carries such a stronger meaning than just, you, you kind of think of reject as like, here's a fly, you just shoo it off. That's not what God's trying to get across. He's saying, how long will these people abhor me? So if I teach the law has been abolished, I am blaspheming God. You said it. You said it. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's look at Deuteronomy 1. Deuteronomy 1. Verse 32. So this is at the very end of Moses' life. The children of Israel have wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Here comes the second, the, the children of those people. And Moses is letting them have it. Verse 32 says, Yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God. It actually says believe in the Lord your God. So all of those things that happened in the wilderness, all of the great miracles that God performed, He said, yet for all of that you did not believe in the Lord your God. And that word believe is aman. You did not, they did not have faith in me. Let's go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings 17. Surely it gets better with the kings. Surely it gets better. And the answer to that is what? Yeah. No. 
if the children of Israel had done everything right and did everything the Lord commanded them, we wouldn't have a book this thick, would we? We would have this. <laughs> We'd have a pamphlet. All right. 2 Kings 17, 14. But I want to start in verse 13. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. You talk about some power-packed verses. The northern kingdom has just fallen. So that means that the southern kingdom has learned from the mistakes of the northern kingdom. They're not going to make those mistakes. No, no. 2 Kings 17, starting in verse 13, it says, Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah, northern kingdom and southern kingdom, by a few of His prophets. All of His prophets. Every seer saying, turn, shuvu, not a suggestion, that's a command. Shuvu, all y'all, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks, like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected His statutes and His covenant that He had made with their fathers, and His testimonies which He had testified against them. They followed idols became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. In verse 15 where it says, and they rejected. Again, doesn't that sound so nonchalant? Just, they rejected. The word is, in Hebrew is ma'as, M-A-apostrophe-A-S. That's Hebrew word 3988. And it means to despise. So in other words, it says, and they despised his statutes. It's the same word used in 1 Samuel. When the, people, when the children of Israel were asking for a king, and, and the Lord told Samuel, do what they say. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Except it's not reject, it's despise. So why did the children of Israel want a king to be like all the other nations? Because they despised God. It says, and they despised His statutes and all of those different things and became idol worshippers. Verse 16 says, so they left how many of the commandments? All. All the commandments of the Lord their God. Made for themselves a molded image and not just one calf, two calves made a wooden image and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. In verse 16, that word left is the word azav, A-Z-A-V. And don't you just love how the, um, how the translators have used such soft language to tell how they've left and totally just spat upon God's commandments. They left the commandments. That's not what the word azov means. The word azov, Hebrew word 5800, means to abandon, to forsake, to neglect, to become apostate from. So does that sound like they just left? Just, eh. Or does that sound very just 
harsh, very severe. They didn't just leave them. They abandoned them. They forsook them. They neglected them. They become apostate from his commandments. So, this is talking about the northern kingdom. Did the, did the southern kingdom fare any better? No. no. And notice in verse 15, it says that they rejected or despised the commandments in the same way that their fathers did. Which fathers is, are we talking about here? The ones in the wilderness. So how did they despise God? They did the same thing that the northern kingdom did. They left his statutes. They left his commandments. All of them. All of them. And the word believe in verse 15, actually verse 14, the word believe, it says they did not believe in the Lord their God. That is from the word he'amin. It's actually he'aminu, but it's he'amin. Where have we heard he'amin? And, and Abraham believed in the Lord. He he'amined. That's not a word. I just made it up. But he believed in the Lord. It's the same principle. Abraham believed in the Lord with that type of faith that said, Lord, no matter what you say, I will not stray from it. And in, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, it says that the people in the northern kingdom did not believe in the Lord their God. So Abraham had the faith that said, Lord, I believe everything you say. What was the faith of the people in the northern kingdom? It was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. The antithesis, if you will. All right, let's go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. I know I'm giving you all a lot of words, a lot of Hebrew words, but at the same time, if a word carries a much stronger meaning, I want you to know what that stronger meaning is. All right, Psalm 78. In my Bible, Psalm 78 is titled, God's Kindness to Rebellious Israel. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. All right, verse 8. We'll read verses 8, 22, 32, and 37. Verse 8 says, And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set, it, set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. That word faithful is ne'emnah which is a variation of Amon, N-E apostrophe E-M-N-A-H, Ne-M-Nah. Say that five times fast. Ne-M-Nah. May I interject something for you, Yes. Look at verse 4. Yes. Who is this particularly focused to? This is focused to the last generation, the, Ach the Lador Acheron. Exactly. So all the things that we see here. This ties right to what we read in Romans 15.4. Everything that was written before was written so we would forget about it or was it written, written for our learning? For our learning. For our learning, especially for the end days, especially for the last generation. Yep, absolutely. So that's us. That's us. 
So may we not continue in the same sins of Israel. It says, A generation that did not set its heart aright, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Not being faithful. All right, let's go to verse 22. Let's read verse 21 because verse 22 starts with because. It says, Therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. Why? Because they did not believe in God. That is from the word he'amin. They did not he'amin in God and did not trust in his salvation. That means they did not have that Abraham-like faith. So in other words, they thought God was going to change. Daniel, yes, ma'am. So if we are like Israel today. Right. If we're like Israel today. So where is the remnant that believed God when the others didn't besides just the two? If there was only two... Well the remnant would be worked into this. So when it's talking about his fire and his great anger, who is that fire and that great anger anger aimed at? The unbelievers. The unbelievers. So where would so if if this is talking about Israel of old, where would Jacob not Jacob, would Joshua and Caleb have been grouped into this group right here? They wouldn't have they wouldn't have been. Well, to that believed. What does Matthew seven say? The broad road. Yeah, the broad road and the narrow road. So there be who find it. Right. So if that if that's if this is written to us and there were only two, what's that tell you? I mean, we gotta make sure that we're we're one of the two. We're one of the two, right? That's it. That's right. But, you know, what's comforting in Revelation 7 with the preaching of the 144,000, it doesn't say that there are only two. It says there's a countless multitude of believers. So, I mean, that's, that's comforting to know. That's comforting to know. But that's a very good question. So, like, where, where would we see those who did have faith? Well, mostly, who is God talking to right here? If He's talking about pouring out my anger... Is it those who believed or those who did not believe? Did not. Those who did not believe. But the two had to go along with all the right, others but and deal for 40 years too. They did, but what were they, were they chastised or were they rewarded for their faithfulness? They were rewarded for their faithfulness. And, and it ties right, right back to what we read in, in Hebrews 3, talking about the rest. Did those who were unbelieving that we're reading about right now, did they get to enter that rest that was mentioned in Roman, or Hebrews 3? They didn't get to enter that rest. What does that rest picture? If you look at Hebrews 4.9, it says, Therefore there remains a rest for God's people. Sabbatismos, a Sabbath rest. So that rest pictures the kingdom. So who's going to enter the kingdom? Is it going to be it's going to be the saints, those with faith, not the unbelievers. So why do you think why do you think so much of the scripture is spent focusing on those 
who are rebellious, those who claim to be God's people but really aren't? Why do you think so much time is spent teaching us about that? So we don't fall into that same trap. So we don't fall into that same pit. So we have... What's that? We were before we came. Well, thank God we, we found the way. And it was right in front of our noses the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. It's right here. It's right here. You just have to pray for God to let the scales fall off of the eyes. Yep, that's it. Sometimes just put blinders on so I can't like, stay focused instead of getting sidetracked while we're Well, and that's why we're reading all these scriptures about Paul saying, keep the faith. You know, don't don't veer to the left hand or to the right. All right. Psalm seventy eight, verse thirty two. It says, In spite of this, all the blessings of God, all the the judgments that God brought on the people for their disobedience. He says, in spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in His wondrous works. They did not mean. They did not have faith in His wondrous works. Verse 37. Let's start at verse 34. It says, when He slew them and then, then they sought Him and they returned and sought earnestly for God. Then they remembered that God was their rock and the most high God their redeemer. Nevertheless, they flattered him with their mouth and they lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they what? Faithful in his covenant. That's being faithful. Ne'emnu in the Hebrew. N-E apostrophe E-M-N-U. All of those are variations of the word Ammon. So why did the children of Israel... Even in pretense, they appeared to worship God. What did they lack? They lacked faith. God, we don't believe what your word says. We're going to do our own thing. You're not going to be faithful to your promises. Even though you said and swore on your name that you were going to do all these things. That's, and that doesn't that make sense why... He said, they blasphemed my name. They blasphemed me. It just came to my mind the story of the prodigal son. Yes. Did his brother ever repent? I've been here with you all this time, and you ain't even given me a, a goat. And here he, this son of yours comes, and you right. killed a fatted calf. Yeah. Did he ever repent? Well, <laughs> I don't know, but... You know, what does God want for all of His children to do? He wants them to remain faithful, but what if they do go astray? Right, right. He, he accepts them back. He accepts but, them back. Uh, I don't know why that came to my mind right at that moment. Right. But it seems like it had some pertinence to it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, but 38 says He had compassion on them. Yeah, because what did God promise to the descendants of Abraham. He promised all of those different, had those different promises. But who gets to be partakers of those promises? Is it the faithful or the faithless? The faithful. All right, Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Did I tell you all to turn there already? Okay, Psalm 106.
Psalm 106. Yes, Susie, we can we can talk about that after the after the service. All right, Psalm 106. All right, verses 8 through 11 talk about how God dried up the Red Sea and showed his wondrous works. And verse 12 says, "Then they believed his words and they sang his praise." They believed his words, and that word believed is from Amin. Then verse 13 says, They soon forgot His works. They did not wait for His counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. He gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. In other words, He gave them what they wanted, but it didn't truly satisfy them. That just reminds me of people that you know try to seek happiness in this world, but does it ever give them true happiness? Nope. Let's skip down to verse 24. Verse 24 says, Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe His word. So the rebellion in the, in the wilderness, all of those different things that happened, stems from a lack of what? Faith. Stems from a lack of faith. And that word believe is, is from he'amin. It's actually he'aminu, but it comes from he'amin. So if we look back at all of these scriptures, how does this tie and how does this all connect back to Hebrews 3? Why did the people not enter into God's rest? Because they lacked what? Faith. They lacked faith. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4. I mentioned this to Melania a few moments ago. So they were wanting to enter the rest that God had promised them. Did all of them get to enter that rest? No. But what is that a picture of? It's a picture of the coming rest. Hebrews 4.9 says, there, therefore, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. The word rest is the word sabbatismos. S-A-B-B-A-T-I-S-M-O-S, Sabbatismos. Does that mean Sunday? It doesn't say Sunday Tismos, does it? It says Sabbatismos. It's a Sabbath rest. A Sabbath rest. So we talked earlier about how the Sabbath was a memorial of the work of creation. How whenever we come together on the Sabbath and retell the creation story, it helps us keep in mind that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. And on that seventh day, He what? He rested. And what does that seventh day rest, that Sabbath rest, do for us? It teaches us about the upcoming Sabbath rest. The rest that remains for the people of God. So what if we say that the Sabbath is abolished? I don't see anywhere in Scripture that says people are going to have a Sunday rest. All right. So let's move on to another topic. So still looking at what does it mean to believe. So we looked at what are the basics of believing. 
We looked at all the connections back to Hebrews chapter 3. Now let's look at the works of Messiah cause us to believe. So let's look at John chapter 10. The works of Messiah cause us to believe. And whenever Messiah did works, did they contradict the Father? Never. Never. Never, ever, ever contradicted Scripture. Never contradicted the Father. And that's why in John chapter 10, verse 30, he's able to say, I and my Father are one. Did that sit well with the uh, scribes and the Pharisees? No. No, it did not. So let's look at verse 37. Last week we looked in verse 35 at the parenthetical that says, Scripture cannot be broken. John 10, 37. And the, I want you to chew on these words because when I read these, it, I was thinking, wow. He, I mean, this is a very strong statement on Messiah's part. Verse 37 says, If I do not do the works, the, the works of my Father, do not believe me. So Messiah himself says, If my works do not match the works of the Father. That means if I'm out here breaking Scripture left and right, doing just my own thing, what did he tell the people? Don't believe me. Don't believe me. Have no faith in me. But how does verse 38 begin? But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. So he's saying, if I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. And that word believe is the word pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O. That's used in verse 37 and verse 38. And so the works of Messiah are the same as the works of the Father because Scripture cannot be broken like we read back in verse 35. Is there any prophecy about Messiah that says basically He delights to do the will of His Father? Not in those exact words, but let's look at Isaiah 11. A prophecy about the netzer, about the branch. Isaiah 11.3. And this ties right to what we just read in John chapter 10, verse 37. It says, in verse 3 of Isaiah 11, it says, His delight, talking of, this is about Messiah, says His delight is in the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Believe. That's obedience to His commandments. His delight is to obey, to do the will of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. So anything that Messiah did, is it going to be in accordance to Scripture, or is it going to contradict Scripture? It's going to be in accordance to Scripture. And he said, if what I do contradicts Scripture, don't believe me. What's that Isaiah reference? Isaiah 11.3. 11.3. Yep. So the works of Messiah cause us to believe. So if Messiah did not do the works of the Father, if He did not do the works 
of the Scripture, then what does that do to our faith? He said, don't, he said, don't believe me. Don't have faith in me. But did he do the works of the Father? Did he do the works that he came, that he was sent here to do? Absolutely. John 14. Let's go to John 14. We're going to start in verse 12. Verse 12 says in John 14, it says, Most assuredly, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. So that means if we believe in Messiah, what works should we be doing? The same as Him. And greater works than these He will do because I go to my Father. Now, before we go on, does that mean, when He says greater works than these, does that mean that we're going to be walking on water? Will we be able to feed 5,000? No, that's not the kind of works He's talking about. Where was Messiah's ministry centered Capernaum he was he was sent what to not but for the lost sheep of Israel what did he tell his disciples to do before he ascended he said take this message and do what with it spread it to the whole world so when Messiah ascended and the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2 what did they do with that gospel message they took that message and did what with it they spread it so when he says, greater than these will he do because I go to my Father, that means you're going to be taking the works that I'm teaching you and doing what with them? Spreading it not just to Jerusalem, not to just Judea, but Samaria and the what? Uttermost parts of the world. It, doesn't that go back to the fulfilling of the law? Isn't that what the, a witness to the world about what God... Yeah. I mean, that's Deuteronomy 4. That's Deuteronomy 4. Because Deuteronomy 4 says the purpose of these commandments, the purpose of why you're doing these is to provoke people to jealousy. What a wonderful God they serve because they have such wonderful commandments. But too bad in, you know, in the Christian church today, how is the law presented? At this burdensome, heavy hard, like ineffectual thing that that can't do anything. You know, I don't want to stand next to those people come judgment day. Because all throughout the scripture it talks about God's word is holy and pure. So, it's not ineffectual. And I I know you meant that. so. So, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I will do, he will do also. And greater than these, he will do because I go to my Father. That means the gospel message is going to do what when Messiah ascended? It's going to spread throughout the world. Verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Then here comes John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. All right, last week we talked about that word if, and we talked about words being something known as a conditional conjunction. 
So what's the condition here? If you love Yeshua, what are you going to do? You're going to be obedient. You're going to keep His commandments. So what if you don't love Him? Then you don't keep His commandments. That's verse 24. That's verse 24. So, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. All right, let's read verse 21. It says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So whoever has the commandments of Messiah and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. And what? So manifest myself to him. So how can we truly know God if we don't keep his commandments? Because he's saying right here, if you do, if you have faith, if you believe in my words, if you believe everything that I'm telling you and you keep my commandments, I will love you and manifest myself to you. Verse 23 says, Yeshua answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my word, words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but whose? The Father who sent me. Did Yeshua make up a whole new set of commandments? No. So what did, what did Yeshua expect the disciples to do? Go to Matthew 28. What did he expect the disciples to do with those words that he said? Take these words, these works that I'm teaching you, and do what with them? Put them in a box? Nope. Put them under a bushel? Nope. No. A, a basket, whatever you want to call it. Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission. These are the greater works that he was talking about. And Yeshua came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, Go therefore and make disciples, students of the word of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe some of the things that I've commanded you. What's that say? All things, every single thing that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So everything that was taught, that Yeshua taught, all the works and all the words that he taught, what did he expect those to be done at his resurrection? To be taken, to be spread, and to be taken throughout the world. For what purpose? So people would believe. All right, let's go to Romans 10. Romans 10, one of my favorite cherry pick scriptures. <laughs> All right, Romans 10. So still looking at the works of Messiah cause us to believe. All right, I, I want to read Romans 10.4 the way it's normally read, and then let's actually read it in context. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law. That's the way it's normally read. Okay, let's read it in context. Because this is a very powerful packed verse. What is the context? Let's look at verse 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for, Isra for Israel is that they may be what? Saved. Saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So if we were to ask them, do you believe in God? Do you believe that you're one of God's children? They would absolutely say what? Yes. Yes. If we were to ask Paul, he would have said, you know, yes. He says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Well, what they're doing is they're trying to seek their righteousness through man-made works, man-made rules, man-made regulations, things that they think please God. It kind of ties back to Matthew 7. Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? And what did the Lord say? Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. He said, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Messiah is the end or the goal, the telos, of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, that translation has always given me heartburn because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Here's why. That word for, the first for, is just because. For. For Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness. I want you to make note of that word for. That second word for. That word for, the second word for, is the Greek word ice. E-I-S. Ice. Not stuff you put in a drink. Ice. E-I-S. Greek word 1519. Ice means for the purpose of. Now I'm going to give you, this is not an exact word for word translation, but I want to give you a paraphrase of verse 4 using the word ice for Messiah is the goal of Torah for the purpose of righteousness to all who are believing so what is the purpose of the Torah the purpose of Torah is righteousness to all who believe so Messiah is the goal Our faith, our belief in Messiah can help us to keep the Torah in the way it was intended to be kept. Was Torah meant to be a way of salvation using your own righteousness? No. No. Go back and read verse 3. That's the context. Israel as a whole was trying to seek their own righteousness through keeping God's law. Did it work? No. No. Ice means for the purpose of. So let me read a paraphrase of verse 4 one more time. Verse 4, paraphrased, this is not an exact word-for-word translation, says, For Messiah is the goal of Torah, for the purpose of righteousness to all who are believing. So our faith in Messiah helps us to keep the law the way it was intended to be kept. Like 
Romans 3.31? Like Romans 3.31. Let's go back and look at that. So our faith helps us to keep the law the correct way. Not as a way of salvation. But as a way to prove that our salvation, our faith is real. As James chapter 2 talks about. Romans 3.31 says, Do we then make void the law through faith? What's his answer? Majinoito. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So what does our faith in Messiah do? Does it make the the law void of no effect? Or does it uphold it and make it stronger? Why does it make it stronger? Because now you're keeping it for the right reasons. You're keeping it for the way it was intended to be kept. So again, back in Romans 10, it says, For Messiah is the goal of Torah for the purpose of righteousness to all who are believing. So in Romans 10, 2, that knowledge is referring to the knowledge of Torah as it did in Hosea chapters 4 and 6. Absolutely. It's not talking about knowledge to help you pass a test in college. Right. Right. They misunderstood Torah. They did. They misunderstood the purpose of what Torah is. We looked last week at what the purpose of Torah was according to Deuteronomy 10. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Keep my commandments. Do all these things because you have a circumcised heart. Because you want to do it. You do it out of love. Not because you have to. So, the works of Messiah cause us to believe. If we look at verse 9. So, all of these things... Help us to believe. Verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord, it should say the Lord is Yeshua, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. So in other words, how many ways of salvation is there? One. One way of salvation. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that word believe in verse verse 9, 10, and 11, that word is pistuo. Pistuo. In verse 11 where it says, For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That word believes is also a present participle. So does that mean you you can start for a little while then stop? Or is it continual belief? Continual belief. As is the word believes in verse 4. That's also a present participle. So when we keep Torah for the right reasons because we have faith in Messiah, then those works that come from Torah are works that don't save us, but prove that our salvation is real. 
right, we're going to stop here for today. I have just a little bit more. So we'll pick up tomorrow, God willing, looking at those who believe will reach the goal, which is everlasting life. We'll pick up with that tomorrow.